Well, again, good morning. I feel naked without a robe on. That's just the truth. It feels weird. But uh, we'll see. It feels a whole lot cooler than it was last week, though, so I'm thankful for that. Um, so today we're beginning our Summer Psalms series. We've actually been doing this every summer. This is the sixth summer now that we're doing uh, the Summer Psalms, and we're doing different psalms every week. Uh, I believe we're still on pace to finish in 2027 with all the psalms, uh, which means at this point, I, you know, we're doing some of the weirder psalms even this summer. Uh, one of the ones I picked for later is 137. Don't read it now, but later go check it out and you'll see why it's like pushed down the way a little bit. Um, uh, anyway, so there'll be some interesting psalms as we go down. Uh, if you've missed any that you like love a psalm and think, oh, I wasn't here at that time, they're all online. You can go to our website. Uh, if you look under sermons, you can find the old psalms and listen to them. Uh, and so then, uh, coming to our first psalm today, it's going to be Psalm 121. So grab a Bible. Uh, if you need one, there's one in the pew right in front of you. Uh, and head over there. Uh, this passage that we're looking at today is, is part of the section in the Bible that is called the Psalms of Ascent. Of Ascent. Uh, and they consist of Psalms 120 through uh, 134, so 15 Psalms. And uh, the designation of, of what this means, the Psalm of Ascent, is a, uh, the exact details a little unknown, but in, in general it means that uh, they were sung by Jewish pilgrims as they made their journey to Jerusalem, right? They'd all come to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship the Lord, uh, particularly during these three major feasts that were part of uh, the life and, 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 and faith of the Jewish people, uh, God's people at this time, uh, the three great feasts that were instituted by God. And, and the first one of those is the Passover feast. Uh, if you remember, that's the one that celebrated or remembers God delivering them from slavery in Egypt. And the second one is Pentecost, um, that, that, which remembers the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Uh, and the third one is the Feast of Booths, right? That's the one we really don't know much about uh, we don't talk about that one much. Uh, it's often called the Feast of Tabernacles as well. Uh, and that just remembers them wandering in the wilderness. Maybe that's why we don't talk about it much. Uh, when they lived in booths, right? Or as Americans might say, they lived in tents. Uh, so that's what we're talking about. Anyway, so uh, as I read this psalm out loud, I want you to follow along. And as we're doing this, I want you to notice how often we see the word keep or keeper in, in just these mere eight verses here. So let's, let's read the, the word of God here. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord God, enlighten our minds to receive your word in Psalm 121 this morning. To receive it as your word. Help us to understand it, to believe it. To, to change from it, to be encouraged by it. Lord, may we, like the psalmist, gain a deep confidence in your ability to protect us and our covenant community. We, we pray this in, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So we don't always know where our help comes from. 
I mean, even at the most basic understanding of, of that phrase, you know, where does our help come from? I, I know when our, our children were, were much younger, they would often come to us and need something picked up, right, lifted, or something open that they couldn't get into, uh, and, and we'd come alongside and we'd lift it as they kind of had their hands on it at the same time, or we'd open it for them, and, and almost always they'd respond afterwards with this enthusiastic, I did it! Did you? You don't say that to them. Um, you know, they, they, they didn't know, right? Or, or more accurately, they didn't, they didn't notice where their help had actually come from. Uh, and, and really, you know, so it, where it comes from in that sense, you know, is what I mean. But uh, on the other hand, you can look at children and also see that they have a really good sense of where to go and find help. You know, um, to go to the parents when, when they're terrified, whether uh, it's, it's in the moment, right? Following a, a 2 a.m. lightning strike that sounds like it's right outside your window. Or, or, or when a large dog or even a little bitty tiny dog approaches them too quickly, you know. How, how quickly children turn and they run to their mother, their father, to their parents in, in, in the confidence that they can protect them. See, our, our psalm today is, is about where our help comes from. It's a psalm about uh, the dangers of, of the journey as well. That's a big aspect to it. It's a, it's a traveling psalm, if you will. We, we love traveling psalms or traveling stories and, and adventures as a, as a culture. You don't have to go real far to think about it. You know, Bilbo's path to the lonely mountain. Frodo's journey to Mordor. The, you know, the Goonies entering the basement of the Fratellis in search of, of lost treasure to save their, their town, Right? Uh, even more of the more obscure ones, like Clark, Clark Griswold's Pursuit of Wally World. That's a, a traveling adventure of sorts. Or, or in Kansas here, right? Dorothy following the yellow brick road. Um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. He's going after his beloved bicycle. These are the classic movies if you haven't seen them. Um, even Dora. I know that's the younger group, right? As she goes on explora-ing. Um, we love... Tales of journey, adventures and stuff. But, but sometimes, if we're honest, we really fear the journeys ourselves, the ones that we ourselves are on. Uh, for many summers, a, a pastor friend and I would ride these, these bicycles across Missouri. And at no point were we ever in shape to really be doing this. Uh, it would be miserable at times. We were along this railway that has been converted into a crushed limestone trail. And, and it goes for 125, or no, 225 miles uh, it's called the Katy Trail, and it's always been quite an adventure. We'd, we'd typically go 60 to 70 miles a day, uh, which is way too many for us. And so by the end of every single day, our, our, our heads were drooping, our, our muscles were spent, our bellies were incredibly hungry. Um, along the way, we'd have to find these places to, to, to stay every night. Um, it, too often, we were in, uh, what do you call them, bed and breakfasts. Just me and my buddy. Uh, I remember one time they told me the, the other couple's already here. And we are like, whoa, no. Uh, I think you misunderstood this. Uh, that's not in my notes. I shouldn't have shared that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, there, there, there's some surprising, desolate places along this 225-mile trail where you wouldn't believe that, that you could be this desolate and still be in the United States. Uh, we, we, we find ourselves in temperatures where uh, we're in the upper 90s and we've run out of water and we can't find any anywhere and, and you begin to panic a little bit. Uh, we find ourselves in some of these really strange, you know, honestly backwood kind of bars uh, where we're just looking for food. 
Uh, and we find at these moments, you know, these fancy phones that we have with no signals are really just squares of glass right in front of us. They've become absolutely worthless. And it's this odd feeling that as, as moderns to find ourselves in this situation where, where danger is real and, phone, and help is not a phone call away. Because it always feels like it's a phone call away. And, and I find myself anxious, you know, with a, a solid case of the what ifs. What, what, what if we're, we're bit by a copperhead? What, what if, you know, one of these sketchy looking guys along the path actually does mug us? What, what if, you know, so many of these things that might happen, who, who would help us? Who would protect us? And you see, that's the question that's, that's being asked here in the very first sentence of the psalm today. You see, today, you know, um, we, we travel very differently. They're, they're traveling by foot as they go a long distance, but we, we travel in all sorts of ways. The, the castings recently spent more than a day traveling through foreign airports with little children uh, on their way to the Ivory Coast, you know, concerns along the way. I know the, the Durants recently traveled to Boston by minivan, what the Israelites would have done for a minivan. Um, most of us in this room will get into a car or, or board a plane this summer and travel somewhere. And, and there are dangers all along the way as we travel. The, the specifics of our psalm today, right, as we mentioned before, I mentioned again, is this Jewish pilgrims, right, traveling to Jerusalem. They're on this path that's incredibly dangerous. And, and, and while they're on this physical journey, right, that's, that's what's in mind and, and really going on here. The, the more broad view, that's intentionally a broad view here, includes the journey along the path of the Christian life, right? Or as Christian's life and the pilgrim's progress, if you're familiar with it. In the Old and New Testaments, we, we often see the Christian life is painted as this pilgrimage, this, this journey, this sense of travel. It's the way it's spoken of. We, we're these travelers, right, on our, our way through life. And our, our destination is, is the heavenly mountain. It's the eternal kingdom of our God who reigns forever. And it can be weird to speak that way because you could stay in this town every day of your life and still be on that journey. Uh, along the ways, though, on this journey, we face... Uh, as John Newton put it in his classic hymn, Amazing Grace, many dangers, toils, and snares, right? And, and, and even though we, we think of the journey of life as, as imagery, and it is in some regard, I, I need you to know this. I need you to know that the journey, the pilgrimage, it's real. It's real. Every single one of us is on the journey, and that means that we are either on the path to the heavenly, heavenly city, or, or we are wandering lost in the darkness of the wilderness, having followed the songs of the sirens towards certain destruction. And yet there's hope here. Because, you know, just like Google Maps, right, constantly wants to reroute you when you get off path. Rerouting, rerouting. Scripture can reroute us back on the path no matter how far we've fall, fallen off of it. Maybe we've never seen the path, Right? And, and so this psalm is in, of its, in and of itself, it, it is an actual invitation for us to ignore the sirens of temporal meaning, to leave the wilderness, and to walk the true path to join the pilgrimage of faith. And yet, we must know right from the start, and this is important, that, that reading this psalm, reading this psalm here, it isn't going to stop dangers that come, that can harm our bodies and even end our lives. It won't do that. That's not the reason God gave this psalm. God gives his people, us, this psalm, 
to give us hope that while in the midst of the dangerous journey, that, 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 that we can have hope there. And so that we can remember that our soul is safe in God's hand. And we'll get to that closer to the end. Right? That it's safe in God's hand even as the world around us proves to be quite treacherous. So uh, let's have a closer look at some of these words, all these words really. Uh, they, these words that really were, were mostly, most likely to be sung, right? You can kind of picture them, and they can see Jerusalem off in the distance. They can see where they're going. They can see the temple, which is their understanding of that's the presence of God on earth, uh, way off in the distance. And yet on either side of them are these mountains, these hills. And, and he sings this, right? I, I, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Those hills that he's lifting his eyes up, right? They're... They're actually a symbol of, of dangers. And, and here's why. The, the hills are the place that the thieves would hide. And the hills are also the place where, uh, where, 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 where the high places of idol worship were to be found. That's where they were. This is where threats to life and, and threats to faith are found. If, if, you know, as Christians living after the death and the resurrection of Christ, we know that uh, you know, God teaches us throughout the New Testament scriptures that there's, there's three great enemies along the path, among the mountains of the Christian journey through life. Right? The, the first of those enemies we might call the world. And by the world, we, we just mean everything terrible outside of us. Sin's impact on the world... Things like cancer, things like violent people who want to maybe rob you at knife point, natural disasters, all sorts of sin outside of you. The, the second great enemy is the devil and his demons, and we learned about them recently in Luke 8. Um, all you need to know is about this is basically they, they hate God and they hate you and they would love to see you destroyed. The third great enemy is the flesh. This is everything terrible within us, right? Our own evil hearts, our own evil desire, as James puts it, whether we're talking about greed or lust or anger and violence, uh, whether we're talking about worshiping other gods and such. And, and I mentioned those three great enemies to the Christian faith to you there because all three of these enemies are referenced in this passage. In the hills, we see the world. We, we see those who might seek to do us harms, right? And the idea of thieves and people hiding out there. Uh, we'll see in verse 7, the, the psalmist references the devil there. We also see in the image of the hills here at the beginning, we see this temptation to go worship false gods, right? That, that's this common theme. How many times have we seen that in the last year, working through Luke and various other passages? Uh, even when Sam was preaching through Jonah, uh, you know, this idea of, of, of idol worship. The, the, the hills here are, are, are the location where idol worship occurred. And I, I'll tell you that, and I want you to really understand that, that, that 78 times in the Old Testament, these places of idol worship are referred to as high places, right? Destroy those high places and so on. And in fact, that's exactly what we see in Numbers 33, 52. Uh, the Lord's instructing his people, right? And he's saying this. He says, you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land. From before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their metal images and demolish all their high places. He's saying get rid of those places where false idol worship occurs or where idol worship occurs, which would be false worship, right? Okay. Um, and he's saying basically you have no need for those now. You know the true God. We also see it in Jeremiah 3.23 where we read this. It says... Truly, the hills are a delusion. He's talking about false idols again there, right? That the hills are a delusion. Don't go there and think you're going to find hope or protection or anything of value. 
And I'll, I'll spare you the massive list, right? Because you're doing the math. There's at least 77 more verses we could camp out in. But I think you probably get the idea of what these high prices are. Now, now for us, it's not the hills that we fear. None of us are on these vacations we take or, or any of the trips we take are going to look at the mountains and think, oh, thieves and danger and idol worship. We're going to Instagram those, right? Yet we still have fears. Even if it's not in the mountains at this time, we, we fear the alleys and cities. I do. Um, we, we fear our online identity theft. We, we fear the, the traveling dangers of drunk drivers and sleepy long-haul truckers and tires that could blow out at any moment. We, we, we fear our 16-year-olds getting behind the wheel and pulling out of the driveway. We fear all kinds of things on these journeys. And, and so we can relate to this psalm, that's for sure. Um, because... At the very heart, the, the psalmist here, what we're seeing is, is he's incredibly aware of his own vulnerability. We, we are only relatively safe at any given moment. And these Israelites who lived long ago were, were far more aware of their vulnerability than I, than I believe most of us are today. But it's a beautiful thing. It drives them to the Lord. And, and, and so then, so, so understand this, being aware of our vulnerability, our fragility, our... Is that how you say that word? Anyway... Um, being aware of this, he's, he's asked then the single question and the central point of this entire psalm. He's asking that question from where does my help come from? Who will protect me? How, how do you answer that question? I know you've just read this, you know, because it's God, right? But, but how much you really answer that question? How do most people answer that question? My, my help comes from what? Financial security? I don't know. Money can't protect you traveling 75 miles down I-70. You know, my, my help comes from myself. Some ability. I, I will look out for myself. How many selves do you have? Do they have the toys Batman has? Really? I and mean, the Beatles had an answer, right? I get by with a little help from my friends. It's not a good answer, especially when you realize he's talking about illegal drugs. Um, the rest of the psalm, though, is, is giving us the, the many facets of the one and only true answer. He, he says right from the start, and we can almost stop here, but we're not going to. He says, my, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, it's been a while since we've been in the Psalms, the Old Testament even. Now, do you remember what it means when we see Lord in all capitals, right? It's not shouting like we tend to think of it in uh, text and whatnot today. Uh, it is telling us that the Hebrew covenantal name for God, Yahweh, is being translated. And so he's saying his protection while on this journey comes from God, comes from Yahweh. Right? And this is in contrast to the, the false gods of the hills. And so while looking at the dangers of the hills, right, and the danger, he, he looks beyond those hills. He looks to the heavens. He, he looks to all of creation and he sees that his protection comes from God who made the hills and who has made everything else in all of creation. And so he lifts his eyes even further in that regard. In verse 3, we, we, we see his own confidence in the Lord and the way that it's now overflowing so that he's encouraging other people. The, the person changes from what first person to second here. He's saying our, our, our God will, will not let our, our feet slip in the next one, right? He's saying, uh, in that verse there, not let our feet slip on this journey to, to Jerusalem. That he won't let our feet slip on the Christian journey even as we read this through the eyes 
or the lens of the New Testament. It's not to say that bad things won't happen, but we can trust they can't happen outside of God's sovereign will. Now, I, I, I told you, as we were reading, right, to look for the words keep or keeper. Any of you managed to count them up? How many were there? Right there, six. Okay, you get a prize. You can have the Lord's Supper later. Just kidding. You do get to have the Lord's Supper, but not for that reason. Um, six times in that, eight verses and six times. We, we use that word keeper in our language. It's actually not uncommon. Um, housekeeper, zookeeper, beekeeper, trapper keeper. Maybe not that one. I don't know how that one plays into this. Uh, in soccer, uh, football, as some of you might call it, the, uh, the keeper, sorry, the goalie is often called the keeper. Uh, this idea of a, a keeper is, is someone who protects, someone who guards, someone who watches over and cares for uh, the house or the zoo or the bees, the goal, not the trapper. Um, but it's the idea of protection there. In, in the New Testament book of Jude, which only has one chapter, so when you talk about it, it gets a little weird trying to explain the chapter. Uh, anyway, uh, in that we learn that God is still today keeping us, still keeping our foot from slipping. In, in Jude only chapter, verses 24 and 25, we, we read this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. So we can picture then, right, uh, the keeper as a, a guard, a protector. And, and what's the biggest weakness of every guard that's ever existed in every reality or story in history? I mean, it's been the plot point of hundreds of books and movies, right? That, that the guard who's supposed to be guarding starts to get tired, and off they go, falling asleep. But wait, right? Look at verse 4. It begins with this word, behold. I, I love when we see the word behold in Scripture. I have even thought it might be fun to just preach through all the beholds of Scripture at some point. Uh, but that's not important for right now. Uh, it, it, it's the, the Hebrew equivalent. Whenever you see the behold there, it, it's like saying, hey, listen, seriously, listen. I've got something to tell you here. And, and he tells us that our God is not like other gods because our God never needs to sleep and will not fall asleep. That's a big deal. In 1 Kings 18.27, the, the prophet Elijah has himself in this situation with the prophets of a, the false idols. And uh, they, it's this challenge going on, right? That um, who, who can call upon their God who will bring fire to, to light this wood on fire but before them to create fire? And, and when the prophets, the false prophets of the false God, uh, can't get anything to happen, absolute silence, uh, Elijah, I kind of really appreciate Elijah for this reason. He just starts mocking them. He says, maybe your God's in the bathroom right now, and we just have to wait for him to get done. And then he goes on, you know, maybe, maybe he's asleep, and we just have to wake your God up. Maybe that's what's going on with your God. And he's just mocking them. And the scripture says mocking. That's not me adding that in there. Uh, but, but we look at this, and we know that our, our God, the true God, he doesn't sleep at all. You don't ever have to wake him up because you're in trouble. If the Lord is your keeper, you are always protected. He is the one guardian who cannot, will not ever fall asleep on, on the job. Um, in fact, I, I, it's a story I like. When the Greek general Alexander the Great, um, who I've always assumed probably made his own nickname up. No one gets given that name. 
Um, but anyway, Alexander the Great was, was asked, how can you sleep soundly at night when there are so many people that want to kill you? And his response to them was this. He said, uh, Palmenio, my faithful servant and guard, is keeping guard while I sleep. I can rest because I know that he's there guarding me. How, how much more soundly can we sleep knowing that the, the one who keeps guard over us will never fall asleep, never be unfaithful, never wander off, never be distracted? Let me see here in verses 5 and 6. We read, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. Uh, you see what he's talking about here? He's talking about a, a shadow. It's a little hard to see in here. I can see it up here. He's talking about a shadow. You know, just like your shadow is always with you, so the Lord is always with us. When, when, when you see your shadow later today out in the sun, provided there's going to be sun, uh, you know, let that be a reminder to you that that's the closeness of God to you. Always with you wherever you go. His sustained presence then can be this, this time of spiritual refreshment for us as his people. And in fact, that's the great encouragement that Jesus gives his disciples at the end of the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28, 20, when he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Always. That's exactly what you want to hear from your Savior as you know he's about to ascend to, to sit at the right hand of the Father. I am with you always to the end of the age. In verse 6, we, we, we can understand then why, why the sun, right, striking you might be a problem. It's easy to get your mind there. Heat stroke uh, would have been a real danger for people traveling through the sun all day. It's a little more confusing to see if the moonlight strikes us, right? That's, we want to be protected from moonlight. Well, so what? Who cares, right? It's moonlight. Uh, well, people at the time believed that the rays of the moon could actually cause them harm. I don't know that that's what they're saying here. I haven't found any you know, answer that really makes sense for this. Uh, most actually believe this, that, that it may be uh, that the thought is more of figurative language, simply saying, you know what, God protects us day and night, as it's building on the idea that God never slumbers. Day and night, you're still under his protection. And then in the last stanza, verses 7 and 8, now all imagery is dropped, right? Forget about this. I want to make sure you understand what he's saying. It's kind of what the psalmist is getting to. And he writes uh, this. Again, as the pilgrims would have sung this, he writes, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the all evil here refers to the devil, the evil one. It may be manifested in the violent betrayal of another human, right? Or uh, violence of any sort, right? And, and in fact, in, um, in John 13, 2 tells us that the devil put in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Anyone observing that would have just seen the betrayal, of Jesus, or betrayal that Judas does to Jesus. Uh, the same language here is in, in the Lord's Prayer. Derek Irvin, if you were at the men's group last week, uh, was teaching us about, the, uh, about this. You know, the, the idea is that the, the, the devil there, as well as we're seeing here in our past, is deliver us from evil, from the evil one, from the, you know, the tempter that means us harm. And, and Jesus is teaching us to pray that way in the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and the psalmist gives us confidence in the ability of God to protect us. And, and the reason this is important is because the threat is real. And then we see here the last verse gives us the scope of God's protecting us. You're going out and you're coming in. Uh, it's a, a phrase that simply means wherever you go, everywhere. That's the scope of God's protection, not just here. Uh, and then, there, then we see the line, and, and from this time forth and forevermore. And that's the scope in, in terms of time, not geography, right? The rest of your life and for all of eternity, forevermore. 
Now, we read Psalms like this, and you may wonder at this point, is it actually true that we're protected from danger because God's with us? Now, Christians are often said to be un- unrealistic and, and kind of uh, loony in this sense because we talk that way, but then we end up in car wrecks. We end up victims of heinous crimes, and you wonder how could that happen to one of, one of God's children? Uh, and so we can't presume that everything's always going to go well. We, we simply can. But we, we can pray to the Lord. We, we can ask for His protection when, when we travel, whether it's a business or, or a vacation. When, uh, you know, as we progress through this journey that we call life. And we, we, we must know, though, that the Lord is the only one who can ultimately keep us safe. He can keep us safe. And, and He has. Every journey that in your life that hasn't ended in disaster... It is a blessing of the Lord, and you might not have even noticed. In the eighth chapter of Ezra, Ezra told the king of Persia, you know, um, God's going to protect us as we travel. And so later he's thinking to himself, I'm, he's kind of, I, I can't really go ask the king for protection now because we've just told him God's going to protect us, and, and what's that going to do in the name of God? But, uh, you know, and he's thinking, I, I've not been told specifically from God what will happen. And so before they leave, uh, Ezra proclaims a fast so that, well, here's what he says. As, as he says, so that we might humble ourselves before God to seek him or seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and our goods. So they fast in their prayer and they're asking God's protection as they leave for this journey. I think one thing I, I want us to get from this in a real practical sense is that we, we need to acknowledge, just like the psalmist, that we are vulnerable. We need a keeper. We need a protector. We need God's hand uh, to protect us wherever we go. And, and I think the way that looks is when you're traveling, you know, pray out loud as a family when you travel this summer. Pray to the Lord to protect you as you travel. Also, take time to, to pray for your journey of faith for protection. For your foot not to sleep, that, that you're not to slip, that your uh, God would keep you from all evil, the evil one, and so on. Also, you know, let's be real honest here. God's not saying if you trust in Jesus by grace through faith that your life's going to get easier. Or even that your journey's going to be safer. That's not the guarantee here. That what he's saying is, is what he's giving us is a hope unlike any other hope that we can have. I hope you still have the scriptures out in front of you. If you do, I want you to look at the end of verse 7 there. If you're one of those people that write in your Bible, this might be a time to do so. It says that he will keep your life. That, that word life there, it's, it's translated from a Hebrew word, uh, nefesh. And it's proper to translate it as life. That is a right way to translate it, and many do, um, as we see in the ESV, if that's what you've got open. It's also, though, to, proper and right to translate it as soul. He will keep your soul. If you're using an NASB or any number of other translations, you're going to see it uh, just like that. He will keep your soul. You, you see, then, the, the, the hope of Psalm 121 is grounded in the gospel. It is grounded in our union with Christ who has died upon the cross for our sins. That's where it's grounded. This this hope is that your soul is always and forever safe in the mighty hands of God. No matter what enemy we may, you know, might assail our body at any point. 
And so when we do feel vulnerable, and we should, when, when we feel the flow of anxiety just rising up from our toes, right? When, uh, when the world around us or, or the people that are around us might cause us harm. When we're afraid, we must take our hearts to the Lord. Honestly. I mean, pour out your heart to the Lord. Tell Him your fears. Um, you can do that. It's not unfaithful to do that. You know, may our, may our prayers just pour out to the Lord when we face those dangers. So then I, I want to close today with a, a quote and a, and a verse in, in that order so that the Lord gets the last word. Uh, the quote is from Eugene Peterson. Um, don't blame him for the message. He actually has some incredible writings. Uh, he wrote this book, though, that was called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. If you care, it's actually a, the other quote you might know from Nietzsche. Um, he uses it in a different way. Anyway, here's what he has to say. He says, The, the Christian life is, is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterrupted with our Lord, nor a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we can compare blue ribbons and gold medals with others who have made it to the winner's circle with us. The Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks, fear the same dangers, are subject to the same pressures, get the same distressed, are buried in the same ground. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are truly ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. He will keep our soul. The verse I, I want to end with is from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 5-7. Uh, we want to end with this because it, it gives the same answer to that initial question that we're asking today, right? Where, where does my help come from? He, Hebrews 13, 5 tells us that, that God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a word of comfort to us. Hebrews 13, though, goes on to explain that, saying this, so, so we can confidently say... The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. That's where our confidence is. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my keeper, my protector, my guardian. The Lord is my Lord. We are safe in His hands. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, in one way or another... We ask the question of Psalm 121 often in our own lives. Where does my help come from? Where will it come from? If we're honest, we often do look to what money can buy, what doctors can prescribe. We, we look to security systems and car safety ratings and so on and so on. Lord, teach us to trust you who are mighty, to go to you for help, for protection as we travel this summer, as, as we continue to travel this, this journey we call life. Lord, protect us and give us confidence in your mighty right hand. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.